Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Today, we welcome back to the program for the first time in two years, Dr. Jill Ammon-Wexler, a metaphysical teacher and a pioneer in brainwave frequency and brainwave technology. The very first time we had Dr. Jill on our program, we had such a tremendous response, and she's actually one of the most requested guests we've had on our show to date. So I'm really excited to have her back. She's going to discuss the Quantum Mind Power Training Program. I think it's very innovative. And let us begin today's show. Welcoming back to the show is Dr. Jill Ammon-Wexler. She's a pioneer in brainwave frequencies. She's a best-selling author. She's got a ton of great books out there. You can learn more about Dr. Jill Ammon Wexler by going to her website at buildmindpower.com. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Jill. It's a great pleasure and honor to have you with us again. Well, it's a real pleasure to be here, truly. And uh, I'm always happy to share the information that I've collected over these years and years of my practice. Well, the first show that we had you on, which is almost about two years ago, we had a tremendous response to. We still got a lot of listens to it. And prior to starting today, we talked about what you want, we're going to focus on, which is about life changes and creating your self-image and perceiving yourself. Can you please discuss about that and talk about how you can make some dramatic life changes? Well, I'd be really happy to. You know, almost everyone has something they want to change. And the fact is, when you try to change, you run up against resistance. Now, why do we run up against that resistance? How can we handle it? How can we best achieve a change? I'd like to really address how to do it today. And it all starts with who do you really believe you are? We all have preconceived notions about ourselves. And the interesting thing is these notions go way, way back into childhood. You know, for example, if I asked you to describe yourself, what image would would you paint? How would you describe yourself? I'd probably describe myself as a as a kid in a man's body. <laughs> That's probably very accurate. So yep. you believe that you are a kid in, in a man's body? Yes, I do. I, I, I think that I am more update on all the cartoons and the latest toys out there than anyone else. When it comes to buying uh, gifts for, for kids, I, I get the best gifts. It's a, it's a natural instinct. So I think I, I think that I just am in the adult body – pay the bills, to do the responsible things as a family member. But as soon as that is done, I am back in a kid mode, and I'm happy in that kid mode. <laughs> you know, it's all the because really what you're talking about is your self-image. And, and that term really is exactly what it says. It's, it's kind of like a mosaic of ideas that you hold about your own self. And in short, how you view your own personality, your, your capabilities, your skill, your body, your mind, and, and your personal potential. And it all wraps up into what we call self-image. Yeah. So for a person's self-image, what is a focal point that they should be, well, sorry, I would say, for a person's self-image, is there an archetype that they should be pushing themselves towards? Is, is there a, there was a book written um that talked about the male and female archetypes. Is there a particular archetype that they should set their goals on and aspire to be? Uh, yes and no. You know, okay. when you aspire to be something that is not necessarily yourself, what are you aspiring to be? 
obviously it's important to have a good self-image, but very few people really seem to know how they acquired the self-image they have or even how to change a self-image. It's easier said than done. You know, really, the history of our self-image goes way back. We begin to form our self-image and our sense of worth along with it as a very young, young child, even as an infant. Are you aware of that? No, I wasn't aware that you. How do you how do you form your image when you're a child and you're not even actually the way that you form your image is the important people in your life send you constant messages about yourself. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. And and more times than not, it's the don'ts rather than the do's that impact you. And over the years, these messages are actually collected in your very impressionable, childlike, subconscious mind. And they are the source of what you call your self-image today. How about that? Do you feel uh, that the biggest parts of your personality and self-image are created at a very early age, that all those things are the the fundamental building blocks of who you are today? Absolutely. And the, the thing is, we all have hot spots. You have things that you react to, and you don't really know why you're reacting so so powerfully to them. It's really back in your brain, those old self-images that are responding and reacting. Your brain has trained itself and hung on to those things. You know, over the years, here's what happens. Belief moves in and sets those messages into mental cement they are there in your neurons, and they are built into you. And, and the end result is that today you believe that you actually are your subconscious collection of other people's impressions and messages to you. That's what we have to start with. Okay, so this is going to come into a two-part question, or maybe a three-part question, is that if you have a child and you are bringing a child into the world, what are some of the best things that you can do to maximize or give them the best um, self-image or the best building blocks for a healthy self-image? Boy, you know, I think that's going to be a subject for another one, another uh, session between the two of us, because that can go on and on. I I really would like to address that in a whole half-hour talk. Okay. Yeah, and the thing is, this subconscious collection of other people's impressions of you really is what has created what we call your self-concept. So we are a collection of responses to what other people have said and how they've responded to us. Think about that for a minute. You know, the really interesting thing about these beliefs is that they're not open to question. They're not open to reason. We just believe them to be so. And that's why we people have hot spots. You know, someone makes a crack, and, and they certainly didn't mean to, to hurt you or offend you, and all of a sudden, bang, you're off the wall angry or upset with that person. And you don't really know why. You just you respond to what they said, and it triggered an old... Thing that's there stored in your brain. There it is. So if people believe, for example, that maybe they lack self-confidence or 
maybe they think they're a poor public speaker or perhaps they, they feel they don't know how to lead other people or even lead their own children successfully or they can't, maybe they feel they can't create a good relationship, guess what? They will defend that belief. They will defend it. And if someone challenges it, they will go on the offensive and defend this belief. Now, you might ask, why does that occur? That occurs because intense emotions always come along with your beliefs. And your beliefs, many of them are not rational. And the emotional cement that comes along with those beliefs causes your brain to resist strongly any attempt to question your beliefs with reason. Would this be considered a form of a cognitive dissonance in one way? Uh, Internals, cognitive? You bet, because suppose you want to be outgoing. However, you learned when you were a young child that if you tried to express yourself openly, you were told to go to your room. So you try to express yourself as an adult, and you hear that inner message back, way back there, shut up and go to your room. You're endangering yourself. That's why change is so just outrageously challenging, unless you really listen to those messages that are coming in the back of your mind and learn how to overhaul them, how to deal with them. Because your subconscious mind has a photographic memory of every event of your life. And so what does it do? It makes sure that your actions truly reflect your old beliefs. Wow. That's why we... change is such a challenge. My understanding is that the law of attraction is in place where we we draw onto us like-minded energies or like-minded frequencies that are similar to us. But if you are very small, how do you draw onto your conscious these certain feelings and emotions and thoughts of others when you do not have a fundamental focal point for which to attract those feelings, vibes, and emotions there when is, you're coming in with a same slide. There's the $64,000 question. That's why people go to psychotherapy. That's why some people just give up and take to the bottle or drugs. You know, that is the big question. How can I be the person that I wish to be? And really what you have to think about in terms of how to do that is how can I overhaul my self-image, the one that I created as a child in response to what was happening to me as a child? Because your self-image determines what you will and what you will not achieve in your life. And that's it, period. Okay. Isn't that so, awesome? I mean, think, think about how awesome that is. I it, it's also, it's, it's awesome. also daunting. I was given great freedom in my life. My parents were both entrepreneurs, so they were out and about. I was in charge of my brother. I was the boss. So guess what? It's easy for me to be the boss. Now, if on the other hand, I'd been raised by parents that had me under their thumb, I would probably, probably most likely be a totally different person. So really, our early life determined in many ways who we are and how we behave today. But you can overhaul your self-image. You can do it. 
You don't need a psychiatrist. You don't need a psychologist. You don't need a lobotomy. Basically, you need fire and desire. How does that happen? How do you begin to start? Well, you mentioned something that your subconscious has a photographic memory. To what? How do you begin that process of starting to really go into your subconscious and start to, to take this on, to take the, the changes on? Well, you have to, number one, become aware of what's happening. Start to watch yourself. Why, for example, when someone challenges you know, me, a person could say, when someone challenges me, why do I respond so radically? Why do I want to fight with them? Why do I, or why do I want to run? Or why do I close down if someone is angry at me? If they look for the why and just, trace it back, they will find it's seated in their early childhood. The self-image that you hold determines what you will and what you will not be able to achieve. So the first thing I would say, the first question to ask yourself is this, are you who you want to be? You know, for example, are you living the life the way you want to live it? And if the answer comes up no, then it's time for the person asking that question to do a complete overhaul of their self-image. Go for the self-image because anything else, will it'll just be a Band-Aid that will simply allow you to continue to create more. So you need to work on how you see and view your own self. That is the key, and that's really the goal of uh, psychiatry and uh, psychoanalysis, to show you, you know, who you really are and how to overhaul your self-image or how you view your own person. And, you know, I'll tell you, after 47 years as a psychologist, there's only one thing that I can totally guarantee and that one thing is this. You are absolutely not who you think you are. Your self-image absolutely does not mirror who you really are or who you really can be today. And that goes into the whole concept of self-growth. You know, for example, you're not that, that stored collection of old, painful or limiting memories. You're much more than that. You're not your past history. And people believe that old stuff automatically because it's so ingrained in their neurons. But you have to stop acting as though those things are true. For example, if you automatically close down when someone challenges you, you have to look at that and find a way to start to open up, open up a little bit. Open up and ask them, why are you challenging me? Or just, and rather than shutting down, open up a little bit at a time. Start to open yourself to look at how you are responding. And, you know, if push comes to shove and you can't find any other way to do it, then you might want to consider working with someone that, that can help you open that up. Okay. You know, I want to mention something to you that if you're working with a psychologist and you are opening up memories within your childhood and those memories do trigger something that is completely disempowering, is that going to actually make the individual um, 
kind of like in a, in a, in a place of weakness because maybe they can't handle that memory or maybe they're not, they're not in a position to push it all the way. Like do you, when you make this commitment, do you have to go all or nothing? You know, or the, mind you is such, the mind is a fascinating thing. It is, your mind has built into it safeguards. It will only reveal to you what you can handle. If you cannot handle something, it's going to block it. And it will block it and block it until you're ready to handle it. It has its own safeguards. But sometimes there'd be a loose thread that you could grab a hold of and pull that thread and begin to gradually reveal to yourself what it, what's behind that, that fabric. But the mind has a way of protecting itself. It's interesting, isn't it? Yes, and if the mind, if somebody's going after these, should they run where the pain is? Is where the pain is, you know what they say, where there's smoke, there's fire, if there's Absolutely. a sense of pain. Embrace okay. the pain. Uh, just actually embrace it. It's not going to hurt you. The chances are it's old stuff. I mean, someone might have criticized you when you were five or six years old because you did something wrong. Well, that happens all the time to children. So you you no longer trust how you're going to select your clothing, for example, because you were criticized so much with how you put on your clothes by a super super conscious uh, clothing conscious mother, you know. And now you you don't trust how you dress. You have to begin to unravel that stuff to begin to trust your own self. And it is really the recreation of your self-image. You know, the fact is, we really are not who we think we are. We're not that collection of old painful stuff that sits in our mind or the limiting memories that sit in our mind. You're really not your past history. So the secret to it really is to stop believing that old stuff and stop acting as though it were true. You know, if you look at who people really are, number one, and this is irrefutable, every one of us is totally, totally unique. There's literally no one else like us. No one else thinks like you do. No one else has your ideas. No one else does things the way you do things. No one else. No one else has your unique set of what, talents and abilities. And your brain is actually as unique as your fingerprints. No one else has your mind, your memories, no one. So what does that mean? Basically, every one of us is not ordinary. There is no ordinary we are each totally unique beings, and that alone, realizing just that, is extremely empowering. No, I think it is pretty amazing, but you say, who are we really? People, I think, are going to have a hard time grasping that concept, because if you're not your personality, and you're not your past, and you're not yourself in the present moment, what are you, fundamentally speaking? What, what, what defines you? Now you're going into what is the true nature of life, you know? What is the true nature of what we are? Boy, yes. many, many people far more brilliant than I have tried to answer that question. And it <laughs> comes down to I am. I am. 
So uh, what does that mean? Well, we are each of us unique beings. We don't really know. I mean, some people have belief systems that carry them and carry their beliefs, and they believe that they, you know, uh, are either tied to a godhead or are a, a, a portion of a godhead or are a being that will die and never be seen again. You know, there are all kinds of beliefs about who we are. But basically, we are each of us within ourselves because of what we've experienced through our childhood forward. We are each unique. There is no one else like you, period. When you've, one of the, our last interview that we had together, we really went into the, uh, the brainwave frequencies and how to utilize them and how to put your brains in different modes. When you are on this mission to rediscover who you are, fundamentally speaking, and reclaim your childhood or, re- or reprogram yourself from the ground up, are there certain meditations that you can be doing? Are there certain brainwave states that your brain will function best in when going on this mission? And is there any kind of uh, two-week or year-long plan that you would recommend to somebody who's going to engage in this process? Well, definitely, you know, if you look at the brain waves, if you look at beta, which is the brainwave frequencies that primarily you and I are now creating because we're being cognitive and communicating, that is not the best possible place to discover something deep within yourself. So you would want to use... Uh, either a method, a meditation, contemplation, uh, brainwave training, uh, audio, to sink deeper down into yourself. Now, sinking deeper down is an interesting concept. You can go down into alpha, which is below beta. It's much more relaxing brainwave frequency. It's really the frequency of creativity and where you can begin to recreate yourself. You can recreate yourself in this frequency by using, uh, I would say, new visions of yourself. You know, you need to reprogram your mind because if you don't reprogram it, it's going to stay with the old thoughts. So if you find something, for example, I had a friend that had trouble with mathematics and she just couldn't get it. And finally, I can relate Yeah, and I finally said, well, why don't you reprogram your brain? Something happened there. We don't know what it is, and you don't even have to dig it out. Let's just reprogram it. I want you to tell yourself, I love math. I am just naturally good at it. Well, the most amazing thing happened. She told herself that. She meditated on that. She even woke up at night thinking it, and guess what? She got an A in mathematics. Now, how did that happen? She went in and consciously reprogrammed an old belief system that was damaging her. That's how it's done. You take control. So you say, well, I don't know why I'm, I'm afraid of uh, dogs, but I have a fear there, and, and uh, it just it seems to paralyze me because my child wants a dog. So what are you going to do? You're going to reprogram yourself and say, I love dogs. I love dogs. And just continuously reprogram. That new programming, if you do it with intense emotion, will override the old stuff. 
that is the joy of what you can do to recreate yourself. And it's not that hard. And you don't have to go through years of psychotherapy to do it. When you just brought up that point, are you implying that the human brain has the capability of doing anything? Could you actually become a Picasso-type painter? Can you actually become a financial genius? Can you actually become a, a brilliant uh, teacher? Yes, just you can. By mod- okay, just by modifying and changing your brain? By changing your brain, by changing who you believe you are. And you create new thoughts and new beliefs over the old limitations. Now, rather than try to dig up all this old stuff, that could take a century. You know, why, why am I afraid of dogs? Or, you know, so what? Maybe something happened when you were two years old and you saw a dog bite a person. You know, rather than try to dig down in and spend 10 years in psychotherapy, recreate your reality. Take charge. That is, if, if, if I have one message, that's it. Take charge of your reality. You can actually create yourself. You know what Earl Nightingale said? Listen to this. He was brilliant. Earl Nightingale said, you become what you think. The truth of that is so powerful, it's overwhelming. And, you know, each of us decide what we will think and what we will believe and what our limits and what our potentials are. And each of us, for example, you and you alone will decide what to do with this awesome power. Because he's right. You become what and who you think. Okay. I want to offer a, a darker contrast to what you just mentioned because there are some people who would call them um, religious. I bring this up. Because some people, like a David Koresh, or um, you know, will think that they are God or think that they are, you know, have some religious power. I think they have some kind of supernatural power. Where do you define the limits between what is uh, realistic and what is detrimental and what can actually fundamentally be self-destructive when it comes to belief patterns? Well, boy, that's a big topic. <laughs> if, if what you believe is harming yourself and others, then I would say that's not positive. If, on the other hand, if what you believe is benefiting yourself and others, then I would say that's positive. For example, there was a man that believed in the healing powers of coconut, um, basically, and he de- literally devoted his life to creating coconut uh, cream and, you know, all of that. And I think at his death at 98, he looked like he was about 27 years old. So what about his belief? Did he harm anyone with it or did he help people with it? So I would say the question is, are you harming or helping? Got it. Now, you had written a book called The Want More Money. Grab this book, put it to work, just do it. And if you look at the world, it seems that there's only a very small percentage of the world that is living in a vast um, financial abundance. What are some of the messages that a majority of the population are being embedded in when they're children that prevent them from achieving great wealth and great financial abundance? Oh, boy. Um, Think about it. Depends on what era you were raised in. The kids that are being raised today, young children, uh, 
most of their families are very challenged financially. So the kid wants a pony, and what's daddy going to say? Honey, we can't afford a pony. So the kid wants a bike, and what's mommy going to say? Honey, we can't afford a bike this year. Wait till next year. It's that we cannot afford. We cannot do it. We cannot do it. We cannot. And, and that is negative programming financially. And again, your financial programming, like any programming, can be recreated. You can take okay. charge of it and recreate it, but it takes action. It takes consistent action and consistent, you know, that, that builds your belief. You know, okay. our limits really aren't real. You know, it really is today among uh, psychologists and many scientists that we really do create our own reality. For example, we have a choice. You can simply react to what's happening today in the world around you financially, or you can choose to respond. And there's a huge difference between just reacting or responding. Reacting is it's like an automatic knee-jerk response to life, whereas responding involves making a conscious choice and taking conscious action. Okay. And for people to fully utilize and to go into your website, let's just remind everyone, they can go to the website at buildmindpower.com. Right. And I, so I, I want to let our listeners know that I've actually been listening to Dr. Jill's Brainwave Frequencies for a while, and I, I, they've done absolute wonders, uh, incredible power, so I can give you a first-hand account of how, um, how great they are. And I was wondering, are, is there a certain brainwave frequency that you find that very successful people tend to gravitate on or operate on? Is there a certain um, mentality that they are on? Well, uh, yes. speed of the brainwave on? If you look at the brainwave frequencies as it goes down, like down below alpha, you go down into the deeper brainwave frequencies, which for normal people are sleep and then dreamless sleep. But in between that break, there is a band, a frequency, which is actually equivalent to the frequency of the vibration of the earth from the surface of the earth up to the ionosphere and back, which is 7.8 cycles per second. In most people, that is not developed. In many of the brilliant people that I've worked with through the years that I've been blessed to work with, actually that frequency is fully developed. They can sink down into theta and still be totally aware and totally conscious and really tap into a deeper part of their mind, a deeper part of their creativity. Even uh, psychic people, for example, can go down into delta. Most people in delta, they are achieving dreamless sleep. However, at 3.78 delta, people that are accustomed to holding that consciously have ESP, and they are very developed at it. So, yes, I would say many of the very successful people in the world, Steve Jobs, people like that, have developed deeper parts of their brain and have learned to hold that frequency open and sink down to where their old primitive thoughts are and and bring them up into consciousness. That is a very special gift, and it can be developed. 
Thank you so much for sharing that. And if somebody is listening to one of your tracks or listening to the Delta track that you just described, do they sit down, listen to it, and to do it on a weekly basis or daily basis to get their brain trained to be on that level? Is there a certain time of day where you listen to these frequencies that will give you the maximum results, or is it just as it, often as you can possibly do it? It, very, it varies with every person. And uh, basically, Delta, I would say that you would want to work on your uh, you know, 7.8 frequency first to open yourself up so that you can be consciously aware down in theta and delta. I mean, it's remarkable what you can achieve in terms of uh, creativity, artistry, inventiveness when that frequency is open. I'll tell you one thing for sure. Steve Jobs, a lot of the great inventors, Watson going all the way back, those people, Einstein, had that frequency open. Now, Einstein used to do an interesting thing. He would sit in a chair and hold a small rock in each hand and allow his arms to drape over the side of the chair and then allow himself to relax deeply. If he went to sleep, the rocks would fall and waken him. So he learned to bring his consciousness down into theta and down into delta, and that's how he taught himself. Interesting tool, isn't it? Yeah, very, very interesting very interesting tools. Dr. Jill, on your website, buildmindpower.com, what would you say have been some of your more compelling recent findings about how the brain works and what excites you about the future of your research? Well, progression. The, I, I'm always very excited about the brain. <laughs> I just can't help myself. It goes way back. Um, the thing that I am most excited about over a long period of time is the training that I created a couple years back, actually, and has has been updated, and that is the quantum mind training. That training teaches you, takes you by the hand over a three-month period and teaches you how to open up into the deeper brain waves where really your creativity is. And I'm, I'm still very excited to see people come into that and to receive their feedback on how well they're doing. You know, the fact is, we each have the capability of totally recreating ourselves, and, and we can build and strengthen virtually any aspect of our being or any area of our life. We have to choose to consciously build our own beliefs, override the old stuff, and take action. And I can guarantee the way out to uh, the way out of any frustration that you have or feeling of limitations is just to make a decision and just do it and create a more powerful version of yourself and get past the old stuff that tries to hold you back. And the mind training is designed specifically to take people through that process. I I love that training and I love uh, to see people go through it. Uh, it's really great. And if you go to the, the website, you also have a website called quantumleapaudios.com. There are a couple uh, tracks you can check out, which is the out-of-body experience, higher states, how to access your pineal gland, your third eye, self-realization. So there are a lot of tracks that people can engage in to, to learn more about. Uh, and question I have you, those tracks are designed to recreate how your brain operates. 
So it really what it is, is a training center for your brain to think positively, to think differently, and to open up different aspects of yourself. And I, we're constantly putting new ones up. We just put an interesting one up that actually uh, is spoken meditations because some people asked for that, so we put that one up. But uh, it's very powerful. Dr. Jill Ammon-Wexler, I want to thank you so much once again for being with us today. Love talking to you. Love having you on the show. To learn more about Dr. Jill Ammon-Wexler, please go to her website at buildmindpower.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Joe. Right. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to Dr. Jill Ammon Wexler. And special thanks, as always, to our virtues Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Laura Lynn, Miss Lisa Caza, and Miss Constance Stellas. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please visit our website at outerlimitsradio.com. So the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and fears. Take good care, and thank you so much for listening. Everyone, please stick around. We're going to go into a 20-minute excerpt for the very first interview we have with Dr. Jill Ammon-Wexer, where she talks about the fundamental principles of brainwave frequency and brainwave technology. Well, you have to look at what the brain is based on. The brain is a physical organ that actually generates bioelectrical currents. Now, if you look at how that is connected to the universe, you have to look at modern science like string theory, which basically is saying the same thing that that even ancient metaphysicians said, which is uh, everything is energy. And the brain, in turn, generates energy into that same system. So it's all energetic. It comes back to it's all the same thing. Okay. The connection simply is. It's basically the same thing. So what would you say to people who are out there saying, well, look, you know, you can either have science or you can have spirituality. You can't have both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. What do you say to them? And how, in your experience, have you drawn the conclusion that they're one and the same well you have you have to go way back Um, I originally started out my education as a hardcore scientist when I say hardcore I I was pre-medical I was dedicated to science I sort of stumbled into the metaphysical aspect of it Uh, what happened is I joined a group of people that were studying brainwaves of meditators and we met at Stanford years and years ago and using simple, I guess you'd call it simple today, EEG, we discovered alpha brain waves. So these meditators were generating massive alpha brain waves, whereas ordinary people cannot do that on demand. So that set off a whole series of events. Uh, I turned from strictly science more toward meditation, uh, from my personal experience with meditation and then uh, EEG experiments, I began to see the connection between the brain and how it is directly connected to who we are on all levels. You know, the science of it, 
the metaphysics of it began to all run together. Uh, when you say all levels, what levels are you referring to? You're referring to levels beyond what was in the physical body, or are you talking about all levels in terms of where we are or how our brain functions in various aspects and situations in our daily lives? Well, the, the brain obviously reaches into all aspects of, of what okay. we are. And you can break that down into brain waves, and it's very logical and understandable. You know, uh, as I've said uh, to you before, just informally, thoughts don't aren't things that just roll around in your head and then dissipate. Although an average thought lasts only three seconds, during the time that you're thinking it, it is very real, very physical, it is energetic, and we can see it. We can see the bioelectrical energy directly viewable on an EEG device, and that's what brain waves are. But, you know, brain waves actually fall into many different categories, and those categories correlate directly to the level of experience that the individual is experiencing from the most common, ordinary uh, thought process like, what am I going to have for lunch? into uh, way down deep into um, the deep brain waves that you dream, but in between there are levels that really can take you into super reality or supra reality, beyond ordinary So reality. what would those brain wave patterns be? Those brain wave patterns are not normally achievable by ordinary people. And I discovered that years ago in my research when I, I began to study really sensational people in Silicon Valley. I mean, I studied some people, just awesome, brilliant people, and discovered that they all had similar brainwave patterns. Now, those brainwave patterns included some brainwave frequencies that later I found don't necessarily occur in normal people. And here's why. You know, look at life today. You have to, if you know, for example, in your L.A., what do you live on? You live on stress. You drive two hours to get to work. It's very stressful. You get to work. You have to keep your job in today's environment. They pile more on you than you can handle. You go home. You're exhausted. You collapse in front of TV and watch a horror film that further feeds your stress. Finally, you calm yourself down and try to go to bed, and you drop immediately from high beta, bang, down into delta, and you're asleep. Well, you skipped those mid-frequencies. You skipped alpha, which is creative and relaxing, and, you know, it's, it's wonderful. And then you also skip theta, which is where you really can achieve what the uh, master Tibetan monks achieved, which is higher states of experience where virtually you transcend your individual problems, your individual being, and experience life on different levels. Okay, you know, it's really, different I'm sorry to interrupt, that you mentioned that data because um, a couple of teachers who we've had and featured have talked at length saying that when you get into a theta state, they used to call it meditating on a theta metronome, that that is where they are able to basically get to an point of an altered state and begin perceiving other forms of realities, perceiving other dimensions, shall you say you will. And they say that, um, saying that if you're able to be awake just before that state of the deep delta, that's when all the action happens. So do you concur with that statement? And when have you noticed, either through personally or through studies, 
when a person can experience a greater sense of perception and perceive things that you wouldn't normally be perceiving through the naked eye? Well, maybe I should step through the the brain waves a little bit to build uh, a base of understanding. You know, uh, there are four, actually five basic brain waves, and they're all quite different in terms of how they relate to the reality that we're experiencing. This is not oogum boogum. This is measurable, predictable, and, and, and uh, achievable. Uh, there are very few people that can actually selectively turn on the ideal brainwave they want at any given point. That's one of the things I do teach in my programs. But normally, as I said, people spend their life in beta, which, uh, and sometimes higher or lower levels of gamma, which is stressful, and then they go home and they collapse and they drop into delta. They skip alpha, they skip theta. Okay, delta, the slowest, if you think of it like a, an automobile, delta is the slowest of them. It's basically speaking, you're asleep. Okay. And, and that's where you are. You know, if you then move up to the next, you're into theta. I think of theta as sort of the voice of our higher mind. By that, I don't mean more intelligent thinking mind. I mean mind that can perceive on higher levels. And above that is alpha, which is deeply relaxation, deeply creative. It creates the gateway between alpha and theta. And incidentally, the gateway between alpha and theta brainwaves is really, it's about 7.86, It really is equivalent to the same, what I would call the brainwave of the Earth. Uh, That is created by the ionosphere as energy rotates back and forth. So the Earth has a regular brainwave that when we tap into, we begin to then have conscious theta, which is higher states. Yes, can I pause you there for one second? Because if there is, a, is there a certain audio track that is available on your site where a person can listen to that and engage in? And also, this is the second part question is, if you go on, if people go on YouTube and they hear these beats, they hear um, alpha, beta, gamma, they hear all these brainwave beats. What happens to a person when they're listening to it? Does your brain kind of what listen to it then latches on and then you begin thinking like that beat if you listen to it for a long period of time? The whole purpose of brainwave training is to train your brain into a certain brainwave frequency, which if people use it properly and if it's properly engineered, um, that's, that's a whole different question, then you can learn to reproduce that brain state in your own mind. And that, uh, yes, I do have things on my website at Mind power.com that uh, people can use to achieve that. It is learnable. Uh, so now when you say that, uh, does, it, it, does a person have to stay in an alpha or a beta state for a prolonged period of time? Are they, is it healthier that they're always switching through these various states? Like what would be the purpose of learning or training your brain to be in a certain particular state if it's maybe constantly shifting? Because you're not always going to be going 100 miles an hour and being so productive. You obviously need sleep. And you can't always be sleeping because you need to work. So what is a consistent brainwave? Right. The advantage is yeah. this. The advantage of, is this. 
okay, assuming that uh, you're talking to an ordinary person that uh, you know has responsibilities at work, obviously those can be either rote responsibilities or something comes something comes up that they are regal, uh, supposed to think about maybe to create a solution for. You cannot create a solution in beta. That is the beta is the ba 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 ba. If you're going so fast, your 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 thoughts don't last long enough to create a solution. You need to relax down into alpha, and you need to know how to relax into alpha. Now Einstein, for example, was a famous alpha thinker. You could look at him and it looked like he was nodding off almost to sleep, and he was down into alpha and probably into theta allowing his mind to, to, to look at how to create a solution to a problem. You cannot really create a solution in beta. Okay. So nice to know how to be able to switch, switch your focus into more relaxed, more creative brain waves. And that is not necessarily a normal thing. That is a learned thing. Learned thing. Now, you said that, Maybe a lot of people that are millionaires, can you just recall they're saying that they are more alpha brain or they have an alpha brain wave, yet you just mentioned beta, which is a lot of very you know, fast, higher tempo. So what I'm curious to know is this, is that people who tend to be very productive need to be going or doing things and being extremely uh, proactive with their time. So how does one be a dominant alpha brainwave pattern um, state of being while at the same time being extremely productive like what is the balance that they have with that if you are locked into your beta brain waves you have what i call monkey mind okay. which means and the higher the beta the more you act like a monkey uh basically speaking it's very difficult to focus if uh if you have mixture the one that I found in in those remarkable people down there in Silicon Valley when I studied them, they have a mixture that is quite balanced. Now, normal people in today's world do not have that much alpha or that much theta. Therefore, their creativity and their ability to create creative solutions and to think into higher states is extremely limited because unless your brain will take you there, you don't get there. Okay. What would the reason be? Well, obviously, if you're solving a math problem and it's a logical math problem, you're going to use beta. But, but you don't want to use high beta. You want to go drop. You want to know how to control your beta so that it doesn't fly off into higher frequencies that are just stress. Basically speaking. Our brain is a miraculous, wonderful machine, but it's a machine. And unless you know what gear to put it in, you get stuck in, you know, one or two gears. Uh, And you can think of it in that way. Now, what I wanted to ask you is, you said that very few people have an alpha alpha brainwave. Why is that? What is it that causes society as a whole to not have that? And do you feel that there are any points in earlier times throughout human history where they did have more of an alpha conscious thinking. And can't you cite... Yes, and as a matter of fact, when you are a young child up to about age mm-hmm. three, you're primarily an alpha. Okay. But as you are then forced to learn and to configure and to respond to social demands, you begin to spend more and more time in beta. 
Anytime you are thinking, analyzing, even talking to yourself in your brain silently, you are locked into beta. Now, anytime beta is is going like that, it pretty much is going to limit your ability to get down into the lower brain waves, which is alpha, theta, and some people can even consciously go into delta and yet remain consciousness, although they, you know, and they're not asleep. That would be, um, there are some remarkable people that can achieve that. So what you want is you want a balance of all of the brain waves operational so that you can switch according to what's happening. Now, if you're walking down the street thinking in alpha and you step off a street corner and there's a bus coming, you want to go into beta fast, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then jump the heck out of the way. But, but normally, as I'm saying, in our society, people are locked into beta, and beta equals stress. High beta is stress, period. Okay, stress. Now, I, That's what it is, and it burns up your body and it burns up the, your mind. I can show you brain waves of people in high stress, and if we actually take a picture of what's happening in their brain, you can see cells dying. Really? So. Yes, this is real. We, hit, we live in a high-stress society that is closing people off from their creativity and their ability to achieve higher states. And it's darn stressful, and it is. So let's let's look at something real quick um, in terms of the overall collective consciousness of a group of people um, throughout courses of human history. Do you find that when societies become more oppressive, that we can almost be certain that the brain waves of the collective people out there are going to be dominantly beta, and when you're dealing in a more free and open society, that you're going to have more of an alpha state across the board. Yes, I have a friend, for example, from who's from a little country called New Caledonia. She's a business partner. She's so capable of deep relaxation. In her environment down there, there is no reason to be stressed. Okay. There is not the government pressing down on you. There's not taxation. There's not the traffic. There's not the demands being put, placed on people in their work environment. Uh, really, it is. You put your finger right on it. It's the society that creates it. And our society is high beta. Okay, so let's say this way. There are many people out there that are advocating change. They're saying, well, you know, things are too tough. And, you know, we need to organize and we need to do this. We need to take measures to to maybe, you know, put things in a different direction so we can have more freedom. Do you think that maybe one of the best ways to do that or the least form of resistance or, or a very peaceful measure would be to have several people start listening to alpha brainwaves, get in an alpha state, and then from there kind of have that reality start manifesting? Yes, because they would be far more creative. Okay. In terms of a solution, they would be able to create a new solution. Whereas when you're in high beta, uh, basically speaking, you're in the fight or flight mode, which means I either I'm going to punch him or I'm going to run down the street, okay. which, you know, that, that just simply is. Whereas in alpha, you can think about, well, let's see, I don't want to fight. I don't want to run down the street. Can I create a little movie that will carry my thought out to other people? You know, you get more creative. Okay. Now, let's talk about... Look at Gandhi, for example. Gandhi, look at what he did. 
in India. Look at Gandhi, for example. I would say that he was primarily an alpha individual, and the Indian society is much more relaxed, or at least at the time was, in spite of the fact that they were fighting uh, the rule of another country. So they had, you know, obviously they could have uh, risen up and fought and fought and, and, and tried to win in that way, but instead they took another path, which was far more relaxed and far more alpha. Okay. So can we do that here in, in Western society? To do that, we're going to have to start each of us with our own brain. I mean, the brain directs our actions. It directly directs our actions. What you think creates your actions. Okay, well, like, what if somebody is particularly stressed about uh, something? Uh, they, they think about, you know, punching somebody, and but they don't really mean it. They're just, they're just like kind of, I don't know, venting. Is that going to draw that experience to them if they focus on it or think about it? Uh, Yes. Well, if you look at the if you look at the law of attraction, that's an old old law. It probably goes back thousands of years. Is that um, you know we do attract what we're putting out, and that's a fact. If you if someone comes down the street and they're in a very hostile mood, you can feel their energy. You know mm -hmm. that. We feel the energy of other people, and we feel the energy of our society. And then we uh, we import it into our being and, and act it out. Thank you for listening to the Outer Limits of Energy Youth Radio Show. Next week will be the biggest show in the history of the program. You don't want to miss it. Take good care and have an unbelievable rest of the week.